Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and I'm joined in this episode by Matt Peterson. He's the president and chief executive officer of the Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for joining uh, the, joining the show today. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Ted. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. All right, we're going to go all the way back, just, to, just a quickie in the beginning. Born and raised, I, I want to say Fresno. Close. Uh, I was born in Sonora, California, in the foothills. Uh, my parents lived in Jamestown, and my dad had to drive up the old priest grade road, which if you've been to Yosemite, you might have driven up it and had to drive back down to take her to the hospital where I was born in Sonora. But grew up in Modesto, um, in the heart of the Central Valley. And and what? how do you think that has shaped you? I don't know. I'm, I'm from New York City. So I know yeah. how that shaped me. But how did it, how did it shape you? Coming from well, I'm, I'm a proud Californian. Yet growing up in the Central Valley of California is a little different. It's not like growing up in L.A. or San Francisco. You, you know, I mean, it it just has a different sensibility. I, I always liken it sort of more of a Midwestern sensibility um, and a smaller town, of course. I mean, you know, Modesto is now over 200,000 people, so it's no longer a small town, but um that really just gave me a different sensibility and a sense of possibility, I guess, coming out of, of there and, uh, and collaboration and, and, um, whatever, I'm sure a lot of those values come more from my parents than necessarily where I grew up, but that just, I think it just has a little different approach. And when I worked for later, you know, jumping ahead for a second, when I worked in Iowa for Michael Dukakis, I felt like it could relate, relate to people because they were somewhat similar to what I grew up with. Yeah, that's very good. Chico State, right? Yeah. I was at Humboldt. You're at Chico. Yeah. I, um, I, you know, one of the reasons I went to Chico, um, I was supposed to go to San Diego State with my best friend. I, you know, I was in junior college and I went to you know, what we call community college. I was at Modesto Junior College for a couple of years. And I, you know, I'd come up a, like six credits short to matriculate to UC. So I applied to the CSUs and uh, I, at the last minute, decided to go check out Chico because I thought, you know what? I don't know that San Diego is a place for me. I've heard there's unique student leadership opportunities at Chico. I've heard that they've had some amazing, you know, political leaders come out of there. Not that he's aligned with my party, but Ed Rollins, you know, Ronald Reagan's campaign manager was a student body president at Chico. And there were some other, you know, figures uh, politically that were more progressive that had come out of Chico, obviously, you know, Bob Mulholland lives there and Jane Dolan's a graduate. Um, But that's what drew me up there. And, and, it's beautiful and it's a party town and all those, I had a lot of a great social life, but really, you know, the student leadership experience and the education was phenomenal. And it's a beautiful, beautiful campus. It you know, has a Creek running through it. You know, Chico sits on an alluvial fan and just a beautiful, beautiful place, special place to go. That was uh political science and government. And then yeah, I did political poli sign, then a double major business and, and public administration. And, um, Little known fact, uh, back to the student government days. So I was executive vice president of the school. It meant I chaired the student government. Um, it was uh, uh, the government affairs and doled out the, the the student club money and all that and was the official policy lead uh, and involved in our student businesses. We owned the student bookstore, the student union and food service, as well as, of course, student government functions. And the president of the university, before I got there, had padlocked the 
the student union and was basically suing the student, student government to take control of the auxiliary revenue. And Chico State had the only campus-specific legislation in history at the time uh, trying to prevent him from doing that. And when I was a student leader, we finished the negotiations, which were three years long. So, I, I mean, as a 21, 22-year-old kid learning how to negotiate with adversaries, <laughs> it was quite an experience. But we got to successful settlement, which was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Don't mess with our student union. I mean, exactly. Our space and our food. That's really interesting that the they had the purview to, to uh, well, and we were the only CSU campus that had control of those revenue sources. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Uh, then you did you go directly to USC or was there an uh, interim stop? I uh, I went home to Modesto after graduating in June of twenty or nineteen ninety, um, and uh, you know I had eyes on big you know political races. Having taken a year off from college to work for Dukakis across the country when I graduated. You know, well, when I came back and kind of operated at another level, having run and worked on a political campaign, you know, I could do a walk and chew gum at a speed a lot of my classmates, you know, weren't ready to do at that age. Um, but uh, coming out, I had high expectations after that presidential experience. Of, oh, I've got to run a big race. And but my dad was running for local county superintendent of schools. Hmm. And my mom and I, she, my mom and dad wanted me to come back to Modesto to run the race. And I'm like, no, I've got, you know, I might go run a congressional race. I don't know. This is too small for me. And my mom, bless her heart, one day, you know, she's passed away, but she stomped her feet in the kitchen. I'll never forget. Put her hands on her hips and says, Matt, if you don't run your dad's race, you're never stepping foot in this house again. So I, I, and then a friend of mine said, look, you know, buddy, close buddy of mine said, look, when are you ever going to get a chance like this again? And did it. And today, you know, we helped him ran his campaign, helped him get elected. Uh, and still my proudest professional achievement. He went on to serve for 16 years as the county superintendent of schools of Stanislaus County and really did a phenomenal job. So I did that for you know a while and then ended up in L.A. In 92, where I ran a race for um, um, Tony Bielenson, who was um, congressman for a long time and had been redistricted kind of got screwed in the Waxman Berman machine a little bit. His district was more conservative than theirs and uh, out to the San Fernando Valley and out to Agora Hills and Thousand Oaks. And, you know, he wouldn't poll. So we kind of flew blind through the campaign and um, helped him get elected. And then had been accept accepted at USC. So I deferred um, a semester to to run that race. And so, so is, there, is there a breed of people that likes to run races? I mean, or do you, do, is that a step? Is that a step towards yourself running for office or you had the, well, you know, I think at the time, yeah, I had, I think it was a step towards me running for office, but you know, I've, I've since sort of mostly let that, that, that whole concept go um, and focus on other ways to affect change. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely breed like you, you, I mean, working and running campaigns at that level, the presidential level, the, the congressional level, we were a top 10 race. We were running against Tom McClintock. Um, it was it was a big deal. So, um, uh, you know, a lot of outside money was coming in. Um, but you have that's a grind, man. That's such a grind. But I learned so much. Yeah. I mean, the relationships, yeah. the, the skills, the phenomenal. Sounds like a grind, but yeah, fantastic. So. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. I think we're fast forwarding into the global green days. Okay. And uh, I'll tell you that in 1988, I was in the Kremlin, heard Gorbachev give a speech all about forming this global green cross. 
And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And then fast forward a few years, I meet you and you're the head of Global Green, which is the U.S. Uh, US branch of that vision. Uh, that must have been, how, how did you how did you get into that? And I want to hear about your relationship with Gorbachev. He's somebody I just completely had met a couple times that have huge respect for. Yeah, yeah. You know, I won't tell you the full long story, but my roommate at the time, um, a guy named Darius Anderson had, you know, was raising money for the Democratic National Committee. And I was running this nonprofit called Americans for a Safe Future while I was in grad school. And um, it was coming to the end of my grad school, coming to the end of, of you know, where I wanted, uh, where running that org and uh, wanted to look at new opportunities and Anyways, I got connected through my roommate Darius when he sent me a fax of a job announcement for president to, you know, that founder of Green Cross USA. And I'm like, I didn't really want to be somebody's assistant necessarily, but it was such an intriguing thing because it said Mikhail Gorbachev, Global Environmental Organization. And to me, that was my greatest passion, uh, you know, combining a political leader who shaped history um, in a way that I think makes him one of the greatest figures of the 20s. 21st century in a way that most Americans may not appreciate, um, given his courage. But, but you know that, along with um, an environmental organization, uh, I went up to meet this woman. She lived in this estate in Montecito. Our first meeting was canceled because of the '94 earthquake. Um, then we finally made it up there, and really connected deeply. She had worked for Birch Bay early on. Her name was Diane Meyer Simon, and Gorbachev had found her and asked her to start the the organization in the U.S. and Long story short, didn't timing didn't work. Six months later, she calls me out of the blue and says, hey, Matt Gorbachev's coming in six weeks. Can you help me put together a great trip for him in L.A. Uh, and and launch this organization, Global Green, and maybe help me run it? And uh, really, you know, I, I then got to spend, of course, six frantic weeks of putting together a schedule and a series of interviews and all the things you would imagine. And at 94 in 1994 when Gorbachev was there was still Gorby mania um was an enormous you know honor but but a lot of work and I m went to New York and met him literally at the door of the Delta flight 30 or 31 I can't remember which number it was but the, the, the non-stop from 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 Moscow to JFK on Delta and there he was and he came out it was like his, the man's soul comes up through his deep brown eyes and just grabs you. And I was immediately captivated uh, by this man. And, and of course, you know, taken by his, you know, sense of, of you know, the love he has for the world, the love he has for his people, the love he has for the, the environment. And, and of course his um, conviction uh, and courage. And so we, you know, first thing we did, we got to the hotel and, they invited me into their hotel suite and said, well, where are we going for dinner, Matt? And me, me and Raisa and, and Mikhail Gorbachev. And yeah, it was some extraordinary times. And I spent 19 years, you know, working with him for him um, as running what's now, what was then known as Global Green USA, um, uh, the U.S. arm of Green Cross, he started. Very cool. And uh, the Global Green USA got into lots of things, but it seemed like one of your crowning uh, crowning um, activities, I guess, or most important was rebuilding after New Orleans. Is that right? Yeah, I, you know, it was we we had long looked at how can we help host how, how do we help cities? So we've been doing work with cities 
um, we were working with affordable housing developers on how to green affordable housing. We were working with school districts on how to green new construction and existing schools. Um, and uh, at the global level, we had, because of the notion of Green Cross, you know, which was a Red Cross for the environment at the time, which is probably that first speech you heard, there was, there was an opportunity. We never manifested it as an organization, but how do we help in an environmental crisis? And um, we'd looked at different projects, but to me, this all came together with uh, Hurricane Katrina, climate change, an environmental crisis and sort of the man-made failure of a levee and all the devastation to the ecosystem from the oil and gas drilling. So all of it coming together and um, making the communities more vulnerable. And I, you know, sat in my home in Santa Monica and I was just watching CNN and the horrors unfold. I was like, okay, what my nation's government, every level of government in my nation and our nation has failed, local, state, and federal to help our own people and our own citizens. So what could I do? Well, could you know, like many people did, host somebody in the home. We could make a donation. Um, what, what more could I do? What could I adopt a nonprofit and help them come back to life? And then this crazy vision just came to me. It was like something greater than me was working through me. It was one of those moments where it was beyond just necessarily consciousness. It was an, an intention. Um, uh, and I'm not a, a really a religious person, but it really felt like <laughs> the force of the universe was working through me. Kept Because there were so many obstacles as I put this vision together. So many people said, no, you shouldn't do that. You, sh you shouldn't go down there. Um, major environmental leader said, when I said this vision of how can we rebuild New Orleans to be the greenest city in America? Like, oh, you, have they invited you? You can't go. You can't just show up. And then somebody else said, you know, well, you and what army? And you know, just work through the resistance when you know you're, you're, you're right. And um, we, within weeks, had somebody on the ground working for us. Uh, I had been down there a couple of times, raised money. We opened an office. Um, we focused on the greening of the schools. We, we advised the city on green redevelopment. We um, made, had a major initiative to educate homeowners uh, on how to rebuild more energy efficiently. And then we, uh, most notably, most, um, I think the school's work actually was our biggest impact overall. It affected all new, $2 billion in new school construction, all being built to lead silver or better standards. And um, we did a few showcase skill, skills as well. I got to bring down Lisa Jackson, head of EPA at the time, and toured one of the schools. And But the biggest project uh, in terms of press and stuff was the uh, we did a design competition in the Lower Ninth Ward with Brad Pitt that found a, really an incredible set of architects out of New York City, APD studio. But the the real hero and all that, which led to um, you know five single family lead platinum homes and a and a beautiful community center being built, um, uh, was this woman Pam DeShiel, who was the Holy Cross Neighborhood Association um, president. And Holy Cross is is the historic part of the Lower Ninth Ward. Um, a lot of beautiful older homes there, and uh, it was her vision that she'd put forth right after the storm for it to be the first carbon neutral na neighborhood in America. And so when we we reached out, it was like, oh, she'd already done the work. She'd already put the vision forward and made something magical possible in the end. And, um, you know, proud of, you know, bringing in 25, 30, 40 million. I can't remember the number of outside resources that, but for our efforts, wouldn't have come to New Orleans and invested in the community. Yeah, that's a great, congratulations. Uh, Eric Garcetti, mayor of Los Angeles. Yes, sir. Uh, asks you to become the city's first chief sustainability officer. Um, 
which was huge. Um, talk about talk about Garcetti and talk about that job. Well, um, you know, Eric and I had been friends for a while, and when he first got elected in two thousand two as a council member, he would uh, I guess he was elected two thousand one. So he would host these um, monthly meetings with environmental leaders. And back then, there weren't a lot of us in LA. Is <laughs> me, uh, Mark Goldhill of Bay, Andy Lipkiss of Tree People, and uh, maybe eight to 10 others. You know, <clears throat> Now there's a lot of great environmental leaders here. Yeah. Um, uh, but we would get together and I threw out a bill, like a legislation idea, like let's introduce the first uh, big city ordinance requiring new school, new, new, new municipal construction to be lead silver or gold. Um, using lead as a policy tool to drive change in the built environment and he did it and and um, we got it done and uh then i you know next year gave him an award and and uh with gorbachev at one of our annual dinners and he had to hang out with gorbachev and leo dicaprio anyways we became friends it took him up to the arctic circle once for a fact-finding trip to see the effects of climate and um uh when he ran for uh mayor i was like Sign me up, you know, and we had talked about the need for a comprehensive sustainable city plan. And he held a two day hearing in city council chambers when he was president of the council. How do we bring a really comprehensive strategic approach to sustainability? Uh, and so when he got elected, he asked me to be the first chief sustainability officer. And I knew what the task was, you know, uh, I had worked in politics. So a lot of people see, saw me, oh, there's that guy, you know, who runs Global Green. What's, how's he going to survive City Hall? But they didn't know I had worked in politics and knew how to navigate, you know, <laughs> all that uh, stuff that comes with it. So that was a great four years. We had a lot of fun, created the first comprehensive sustainable city plan. Um, it's now the second version was was known as Green Deal, LA Green New Deal. Um, but uh uh, put together the most aggressive water conservation uh, initiative at the time. We reduced 20 uh, per capita water use by 20% in record time, uh, really being aggressive in education and rebates and incentives. Um, uh, created climate mayors, and uh, which was a group of U.S. mayors working on climate. It started with 33 mayors, but when Trump got elected, literally would wake up, got all these 70 cities on board, mayors on board to say they would be all in on the Paris Climate Agreement and adopted in their city if Trump pulled out. And so every morning I'd wake up and look at Trump's schedule to see if he was going to do the, you know, the announcement that they're, you know, pulling out of Paris. And, and it's June 1st, I think it was 2017. I'm, I'm about to head to China to represent the mayor and Trump holds a press conference. We press send on our thing, get it out in the press. And it gave, you know, it was a little, one of those things where it gave a little sense of hope for those that saw the news 70 mayors, you know, and then it grew to 170 within 24 hours. And within a few months, it was four for 400. And so that organization is, has grown out of that administration. And um, now I'm board chair of that group. I remember, I remember uh, feeling that hope that you're talking about yeah. when, I read, yeah. when I read about the mayors all saying yeah. we're, we're in, we're, we're sticking with it. And then let's, let's fast forward to, to Lacey then. Um, Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator, where you where you've been for how many years now? I can't believe it's been five and a half. Yeah, time flies. And and uh, for those that don't know Lacey, how do you? What's the elevator pitch? What's the what's the short? Well, we're we're um, creating an inclusive green economy um, by uh, uh, unlocking innovation through startup uh, clean tech startups um, and incubating them. Uh, we are um, transforming markets through catalytic partnerships and pilots like 
our transportation electrification partnership, and then enhancing community through workforce training and increasing opportunities for underrepresented entrepreneurs um, in the green economy. So that three-pronged strategy is really a holistic green economic development strategy. A lot more to it, but um, that's that's the you know maybe the twenty-floor elevator pitch, not the five-floor. Yeah, yeah, no, and then and then physically, you're in a facility. I can see the backdrop there, but you're in a facility with how many startup ventures or or young companies that you're helping to? Scale? Yeah, well, back in the day before COVID, we'd had a lot of startups in the facility. Now there's you know eight to ten. Um, but, uh, you know, because not everybody's using an office, as you know, anymore, <laughs> even though it's an extraordinary office and campus we have. But the whole point of the building uh, started and the organization started under, under Mayor Villaraigosa. Um, and Eric Garcetti was the only council member who really put financial support into it, by the way, even though it wasn't in his district, um, but he believed in it so much. Um, the 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 Villaraigosa administration had you know put the vision together and then built this campus that is extraordinary sixty million dollars fifty million dollars into a sixty thousand square foot campus on one point three acres really an innovation campus um, that we are the blessed to be the stewards of and so we make the space available to prior priorities for our startups and then for other like minded mission aligned nonprofits and some for profit companies. Um, to be there some government agencies for that matter air resources board has an office there and then you actually have labs there where i mean yeah, we have an amazing uh, set of labs uh, electronics lab uh, wet lab or chemistry lab uh, cutting and welding uh, sewing and textiles uh, of course additive manufacturing and our machine shop we just got some new um, cnc machinery that snapchat donated that that they had to get rid of when they downsized and Really, uh, just a whole a wood shop and like every you know it's, it's extraordinary. So startups can prototype any hardware that they really need there, and then we also do prototyping as a service with our great staff. Yeah, I was so I was so I was so impressed by that. Talk about the aviation electric aviation partnership, but how does you how are you advancing that? Our transportation electrification partnership was was started in 2018. It really originated. Um, through conversations I had around the table at Lacey with uh, Ron Nichols, who was president of Southern California Edison. He had actually reached out to me um, right before I left when, when I was leaving the mayor's office. And um, we, I was really pushing um, uh, for, and Mayor Garcetti was leading on increasing uh, the, the push for zero emissions uh, trucks at the ports of LA and Long Beach. And so Ron and I sat down and said, hey, Matt, with you leaving the mayor's office, how can we continue this work? Like, this is really important what you're, you're doing and the mayor's doing. And I said, let me think about it. And then Mary Nichols and I had a conversation um, uh, about this and we did a meeting together. And you know, this was a new direction for Lacey to go beyond the incubation. But the organization had been doing a lot of you know cluster-based approach and convenings around economic sectors and um was trying to bring some some focus and uh, uh, really show the regional leadership that was made possible by the facility and 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 the staff and me joining the organization, and we decided to create something that was really unprecedented in LA, which is a regional collaboration focused on transportation electrification. Now, LA is eighty eight cities within you know as well as the counties, isn't really known for its great regional collaboration. 
uh, uh, yes, it happens. But um, so we then chose the play that the 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 Olympics in 2028 as the target, the date by which, which was also in 1984 at the time, LA was considered where it came together the best as a region to reduce air pollution, reduce traffic, uh, to host the games and welcome people from around the world. Uh, so transportation electrification partnerships set an ambitious target of 25% additional greenhouse gas emission and air pollution reductions to be achieved by 2028 over the 2018 baseline of Governor Brown's then executive order. Then we went about to set the targets of how many cars is that, that going to mean down the road? We needed 80% of all cars sold to be electric by 2028. So we're moving that direction. See if we can get there. Um, uh, to 40% of the dredge trucks to be zero emissions, to be 100% zero emissions by 2035, their ports are going to have to hit numbers close to that, if not more than that. So we're leaning in to bring the funding, the the doing the pilots to see what works, uh, to, to, to running legislation to figure out some of the missing pieces that are going to make the region come together um, in a way that uh, we know is only possible here in L.A. That's fantastic. What percentage of your time goes into an initiative like that? Well, when we found it, of course, it started up, that was, you know, 50, 60% of the time. Um, Now it's, you know, 10 to 20%, depending on the week. You got so so many uh, fingers in so many pies. I was just curious about that. It just sounds huge and all consuming, but hugely important. You're, um, I'm glad we talked about the climate mayors. You've been on the MWD board. Yeah. You've been on the Center for Environmental Health board, the Sir Edmund Hillary Institute board. What is what is the Sir? <laughs> what does that yeah, well, do? Sounds so. Funny. Not everybody knows that Sir Edmund Hillary uh, was a Kiwi. He's from New Zealand. Um, some people thought he was English, um, but for those that don't know, he was the well among two the two of the first men to climb Mount Everest. Tenzing Norgay obviously was there with him, and he doesn't always deserve the credit. Uh, he doesn't get the credit he deserves as his being uh, the guide with Surad and but they they did something that never had been done before which is get to the top of Everest by climbing what's now the, the Hillary step like which was the hardest part to traverse after that arduous climb and you know I think it was in the 50s and so he then became a social entrepreneur and helping the people of Himalayas um, so I got approached uh, um, somebody came through LA when I was running Global Green and Ray Anderson actually if you remember Ray who was CEO of Interface suggested you should see Matt Peterson when you're in LA and they were, you know, at that time, like many people, they were coming to me because I thought I could help them get Leonardo DiCaprio or some celebrity. And in the end, they're like, Oh, we actually really like you. We think it'd be great. We want to get you involved in this organization to identify mid-career leaders who are trying to climb that last bit of the, the Everest, the Hillary step, you know, that who, who need some support to elevate their work, to lift them up. Uh, and I said, all right, sign me up. So I became their inaugural senior fellow. And I spent eight years with the CEO, Mark Prane, identifying leaders. So we, you know, we, we recognize people like Mike Brune or Tosa Satani, who ran, ran uh, Rainforest Watch uh, or um, uh, Rainforest Action Network. And, um, and then, uh, you know, all these extraordinary leaders from around the world. Uh, and they all got to go to New Zealand and 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 they and then every three years one of them would be eligible for a hundred thousand New Zealand dollars for a project. Um so it, the idea was to create something akin to the Nobel Prize with Kiwi New Zealand roots. Organization still going and now I've, I've transitioned to a governing board member. Oh great. You do a lot. You do a lot. Now how um 
how do you keep balance? You're looking healthy. You've got yeah, a lot of stuff going on. What do you, what do you, what do you say? What do you, what? Uh, you know, for me, I'm the kind of person without a lot of complexity and a lot of things going on. I, I don't thrive. Uh, I need, I need the, the juggling act to keep me challenged and engaged. Now, the, the thing is to stay focused, of course, when you need to get something done, uh, whatever, if it's volunteer or your day job. Um, so I, you know, it's just a reminder, like, to take time to stay, to, to be effective with, with so much going on. Anybody's got to, you know, keep restored and healthy, whether it's going to the gym. Um, you know, I, I spent a weekend at Esalen, which I hadn't been to in 10 years recently. And it just to, I didn't look at my phone or electronic device for 48 hours, which I don't remember the last time that happened, uh, but it was so nice. So to me, those are things I meditate every morning, um, just the self-care. Fantastic. Well, listen, thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Ted. This was a lot of fun. Good catching up. Bye-bye. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time. Thank you.